Hey, are you into werewolves, mad scientists, and a little bit of witchcraft? Then stay tuned for an all-new episode of Watch Corner. We're riding this train straight into the sun. Woo! Tune in to a classic episode of Watts Corner on the Seltzer Kings Network. Available on all podcast platforms. The following podcast contains... Oh! Won't somebody please think of the children! Explicit language. Hello and welcome to the podcast that asks a simple question. When the audience shouted you not to go in there, and you went in there anyway, what the hell were you thinking? I'm your undead host, Dave Bledsoe, and this is a Friday, October 27, 2017, Screaming in the Night edition of the show, where we talk about the things that go bump in the night, meaning the cats have broken something again. Stay tuned. The What the Hell Were You Thinking podcast is brought to you by Spectral Rehabilitation, scaring people straight since 1843. We all want to be better people, but sometimes our demons get the best of us. That's why Spectral Rehabilitations work so well. We literally scare the hell out of you. Our patented three-pot haunting will eliminate even the most recalcitrant misbehavior by showing the past, present, and future, and how you fucked up in each one. Spectral Rehabilitation specializes in difficult cases. No matter how evil you are, we can help put you back on the straight and narrow. Except for you, Bill O'Reilly. You're going straight to fucking hell. Use the promo code MARLEY at checkout and get a fourth visitation free. Spectral Rehabilitations will make you better or scare you to death trying. Now, hold on to yourselves. There's one more thing. A terrible presence is in there with her. So much rage. So much betrayal. I've never sensed anything like it. I don't know what hovers over this house, but it was strong enough to punch a hole into this world and take your dog away from you. It keeps Caroline very close to it and away from the spectral light. It lies to her. It says things only a child can understand. It has been using her to restrain the others. To her, it simply is another child. To us, it is the beast. Now let's go get your daughter. In the darkness, a hand reaches towards the phone. A creeping feeling of ominous presence wakens him from deep sleep in the dark of the night. He can feel it, the palpable sense of foreboding, of fear so real he can taste it, sharp and acidic on the tongue. Grasping the phone, he sees what has pulled him from his slumber. The low grumbles and dulcet tones announcing terror. Squinting through sleep-crusted eyes, he can barely make it out. And finally, it swims into focus and the yawning chasm of hell spawns beneath his feet. He lets out a blood-curdling shriek. 
yanks his spouse from her sleep. It's coming! It's coming from inside the White House! The tweet is coming from inside the White House! And that's why I don't look at Twitter until I've had at least two cups of coffee. Also, that part about the spouse, that's just some shit I made up. But I I do terrify my cat when I scream when I wake up and look at the phone. So I've got that going for me. So here we are. It's part two of the Halloween spooktacular ghost, goblins, haunts, revenants, and debt collectors. That which strikes terror into the heart of humanity. I ain't afraid of no ghosts. Me either, Ray Parker. I ain't even believe in no ghost. Nor debt collectors. That freaks them out that when they call, I just scream, I don't believe in you! And then I hang up. They don't call back for a while. So last week, we, uh, we talked about little green dudes, the strange sightings witnessed by our folks in uniform. And this week, I'm going to stay on theme. Surprise! Because honestly, after two years of doing this dumb show, I'm out of ideas, and I need to keep the one idea I do have going as long as possible until someone comes along and puts me out of my misery like a horse with a broken leg. It was a kindness. I reached out to some veterans for their ghost stories, and I even included them. But by and large... I'm going to do what I do every week and what almost everyone does when they do ghost stories. I'm even considering making up some shit. I feel like before I begin, I need to explain some things for those of you who never served in the military or close to someone in the military. And that means about 96% of you. So you probably don't know about bullshitting. Oh, I know, I know you think you know because everyone bullshits, but in the military, bullshitting is not just lying. Bullshitting is a way to communicate more than lies. It serves a fundamental purpose of peer-to-peer education. You will learn by the numbers. I will teach you. Bullshitting is knowledge transfer couched in wildly outlandish tales of improbable events designed to entertain and enlighten. In many ways, this podcast is just a half-hour bullshit story. And one of the ways that we in the military would bullshit would be through lying about our sexual conquest. Although I don't know what we really imparted through that other than the fact that we lied about getting laid. But the other way that we communicated bullshit was through ghost stories. Every duty station I served at, both permanent and temporary, had at least one ghost story associated with it. No bullshit. I I need a break here again to inform those of you who did not serve that every bullshit session begins with the words... No bullshit. So, really, when I say no bullshit, I'm just advertising that I'm starting a bullshit story. So, no bullshit. I was assigned to a base in Saudi Arabia that had been there all of a minute and a half when I got there. They were still putting up tents in the deserts, and we already had a ghost story. A spectral Bedouin who would ride his camel through the middle of Prince Sultan Air Base. We were still even calling it all cars. That's how new it was. People swore left and right they'd seen the glowing form of the Bedouin leading his camel down the main strip of the base when they would leave the shitters in the middle of the night. A few weeks later, I was sent to an air base in Kuwait we'd bombed, where we'd bombed the hardened shelters during the first Gulf War and the ghost of dead Iraqi pilots lingered waiting for their planes that would never scramble and you know what the Iraqis never even had planes at this base that's how powerful a good bullshit story is it doesn't even need to contain a kernel of truth and for all the ground forces and the air forces had our bullshit stories 
we could not hold a candle to the Navy. The Navy is full of bullshit. Only they don't call it bullshit, they call it sea stories. My friend David Buckwalter served in what I consider the most certifiably insane part of the Navy outside of the SEALs. He served on submarines. And then Buck took to extremes what is already insane. He just took it to the next level by working on the reactor, the nuclear reactor. You, you are in a metal tube that goes deep underwater. And you fuck around with a nuclear reactor in that tube that you can't escape from. You are a hard poor motherfucker in my book. But Buck gave me some of his best sea stories about a boat, and they call submarines boats for reasons that I don't understand, called the USS Minneapolis-St. Paul, which was built in 1981 and launched in March of 1983. It's not exactly the sort of place one might expect ghosts to inhabit. I mean, what are these ghosts doing in 1983? The moonwalk? Yet the Minneapolis had not just one, but two ghosts. And I'm quoting David from his sea stories now. The first was a young girl in a white Victorian dress. Nobody had direct contact with her because she never left the reactor compartment. But many people saw her through the leaded window or inspection periscopes. She was most commonly seen sitting on a pipe and swinging her feet. The second was a crusty old bearded sailor in World War II era dungarees. I was falling asleep in my panel one night when I was alone in the reactor control room, when I felt someone tap firmly on my shoulder. I jumped a bit, realizing I'd been sleeping, then turned around to say thanks when I saw a dude I didn't recognize in the wrong uniform. He nodded. He turned and walked through the chain across the doorway. I didn't tell anyone about that for a few weeks. Then one of the chemists told me he was having trouble staying awake at the feed station when a crusty old sea dog came down and shot the breeze with him about women in foreign ports for a few hours. When he told me about the guy's uniform, I asked about some of the details that I'd seen. The chemist confirmed, and we started asking around. Lots of folks said this guy had woken them up, handed them a wrench that was just out of reach, or helped in some other way. But my favorite story that Buck told was this. Quote, We also thought our boat was Roman Catholic. The freshwater evaporator only worked when it had a rosary hanging on it. And any time we were foolish enough to run drills on a Sunday, something would break during the first drill set, causing the rest to be canceled. But the most chilling, I think, the most strange story about this, was the captain of the boat of the USS Minneapolis-St. Paul, ordered a garbage dump, which was not unusual, but choosing to do so directly over the wreckage of another submarine, the Russian submarine Kursk, which was sunk with all hands aboard, that was unusual. And the crew was very unhappy about this. Perhaps both the crews. Because a week later, four sailors of the USS Minneapolis-St. Paul were washed overboard in heavy waves as the Minneapolis departed the harbor at Plymouth, England. Two of those sailors died. Now, I won't go into the deeply tra- the deep tragedy involving the Minneapolis, but you can find a link in the show notes. And I'll tell you this much, Buck has lived with that for the rest of his life. 
so is every sailor on board the Minneapolis. Why do we bullshit? Why do we tell sea stories? Well, the simplest and easiest explanation is the military is really dusty, dull, very boring. So you spend a lot of time sitting around waiting to do things. You bullshit to entertain, but you also bullshit to pass on information. Like the spectral Bedouin of Prince Sultan, it said something about where we were, by which I mean in the middle of the fucking goddamn deserts, hundreds of miles from anything, and the only people besides us were the Bedouins. And we were supposed to leave them alone. It passes on history, like the dead Iraqi pilots. It tells people what happened there, even if nothing happened there. And finally, it teaches people to always be alert. Not so much for the enemy, because most of the time they were a long, long way from us. I mean, I was in the Air Force, so we didn't so much do that front line thing. But the real enemy, the sergeants. That's the real enemy. And those fuckers were like real ghosts. They appeared without warning. They scared the shit of you. And then they went away to haunt some other poor, hapless soul along your post. Okay, you're scaring me. But the other side of bullshitting is just sometimes you do see some strange ass shit. I was an Air Force cop, a military working dog handler. If there was a creepy-ass location on the base, then chances were some brilliant lieutenant... It's an oxymoron. ...decided to plunk someone there, and most of the time, that was a military working dog handler. So, you could spend hours, sometimes 12, sometimes 16 of them, all in one place. And if you're there that long with nothing happening, your brain starts finding ways to entertain itself. And sometimes the thing your brain finds to entertain itself will scare the shit out of you. Or, alternatively, just possibly, the dead do walk among us. <laughs> You want to hear my bullshit story? All right, hang on, hang on, hang on. Let me light this candle. Gavin, Gavin, buddy, start, start the music. Bet, Gavin, Gavin. Oh Jesus, Gavin, come out from under the console, buddy. It's just a scary story. It's gonna be okay. Come on, there you go, there you go, there you go, buddy. It all begins, Acre Air Force Base, Arkansas, December 1989. It was early on a Sunday morning. Or rather, it could have been late by the, by the world standards. A few hours from sunrise on a foggy Sunday morning, the bar traffic had dropped off and the world went quiet. That only a foggy, noon, moonless night can go quiet. I was working the main gate of Acre Air Force Base, the sole point of entry and exit, and I was alone. I know the time, because not long before this happened, the newspaper delivery man had dropped off the Sunday paper at the gate shack before proceeding on his rounds, and aside from him, I'd not seen a soul in hours. The mobile patrols were all off drinking coffee or napping in corners, and our police radio was silent. 
the only thing that broke the quiet was the rare passing car on the highway outside the base. I'd opened the paper and began reading the key elements of the news, the Sunday funnies. It was somewhere between Bloom County and Calvin and Hobbs that I saw him at the end of the traffic island by the highway about 200 yards from my gate shack. The red light of the traffic signal was spectrally shining in the fog, outlining the shape of a person. I didn't think much of it. He was an early riser or a late partier, wisely choosing to walk home rather than drive drunk but the shape walked slowly towards the gatehouse, very slowly. So I continued to read my comics, glancing up from time to time to see if he'd arrived. As he got closer, I could make out some details. He was older, I was only 20. Everyone was older than me, but he looked to be in his 60s with long gray hair and a beard. He wore a battered fatigue field jacket with army rank insignia on its sleeves. And I remember being a little frustrated that he was taking so long to get to where I was at. I glanced down and then back up to find he'd suddenly closed the distance seemingly in an instant. He leaned against the sign announcing those seeking entry that they must dim their lights and present their ID. He leaned and smiled and I jumped back at his sudden speed and stood to step out to see what he wanted and then the lights went out. No bullshit. The lights went out, not just in the gatehouse, but the perimeter lights on the fence that surrounded the base for a mile in either direction and my police radio started squelching static. I stepped out trying to get my radio out to turn it down and dude was gone. I pulled out my flashlight, shined it around to look for him and the only damn light I could see in any direction was the red traffic light at the end of the island in the fog. Dude was gone. I picked up the direct phone line to the law enforcement control center. It rang and it rang before finally the desk sergeant picked up and yelled at me because, yes, we know the lights are out. We know the lights are out and the radios are fucked up. We need some time. And I was like, no, 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 no. Somebody just snuck past my gate hack. I need somebody out here. I need somebody out here now because I don't know where this guy went. And then, and then, the radio stopped squelching static and the lights came back on. The desk sergeant immediately sent patrols to my gatehouse. They sent the on-duty dog handler. I was the other dog handler, but I did not have my dog with me that night. The dog handler pulled up and started searching for the man that I knew that I had saw walk up to my gate shack, stare at me, and then suddenly disappeared. But after an hour of searching, we found nothing. The old man was gone as if he never existed, as if there was never anyone there at all. I think I shit myself. Was he ever there? Was I half asleep and imagined the whole thing as everyone said I had done? To this day, I do not know. All I know is the lights went out, the radio squelched in the dark, and I was sure the old man stood there and smiled at me. (laughs) 
Oh, Arkansas was full of bullshit about ghosts. There was a genuine Indian burial mound. You call them Native American. And a Civil War battlefield right there next to the base. The alert aircraft par parking apron where nuclear bombers and their crews waited to scramble for the end of the world was located on top of an old cemetery and the guards along the gap where the doomsday planes would taxi towards Armageddon was riddled with spooky events. Dogs that wouldn't walk there wouldn't walk out with their handlers, lonesome voices in the night. And how fucked up is it that the least scary thing about a place with a hundred nuclear warheads was that it was a ghost. A strange red light would wander in the night through the middle of the, of the area, causing a red light chase. One night, a tower controller who monitors the alarms in the entire parking area dispatches the unit nearly opened fire with his M16 at a spectral shadow ascending his tower on the metal steps. He swore he could see a dark figure and heard the footsteps on the metal stairs. And this guy was a sergeant, not some jackass airman on a gate. He was serious dead serious. The undead haunt the military even more than they haunt prepubescent girls. Anyone besides me think that ghosts are, you know, kind of pedo? I get older, they stay the same age. <laughs> While researching this episode, I found dozens of fucking long-term ghost events around the world. Kadena Air Base in Japan is Spook Central. March Air Force Base in California. Guantanamo Bay has a haunted officers club, but I think that's probably the ghost of Private First Class Santiago. Who the fuck is PFC William T. Santiago? No one. Jack Nicholson, Tom Cruise, Demi Moore. Perhaps the sexiest I'd ever seen Tom Cruise in his Navy white. God, I'm so much gayer than I think I am. Fort Leavenworth, Kansas. I mean, Edgar Allan Poe supposedly haunts the grounds of Fort Monroe in Baltimore. But perhaps the most haunted military base of all is the subject of this week's Wayback. Our way back this week takes us to the year 1325 in what would eventually become South Dakota. Along the banks of Crow Creek, the ancestors of the Sioux people lived in a series of four to five village dotting the area. Coming up from the south, the ancestors of the Pawnee were moving north. Yet all was not peaceful and something terrible happened to the people along Crow Creek. We don't know who did this horrible thing, Many believe it was other Sioux progenitors because of population pressures from the Pawnee migration. Others believe it was the Pawnee, but no matter who did it, the fact is that nearly 500 villagers were slaughtered at the Crow Creek site. Men, women, children. Most of the remains showed signs of ritual mutilation, particularly scalping. Other examples were tongues being removed, teeth broken, beheading, hands and feet being cut off, and other forms of dismemberment. In addition to the severity of the attack, most of the people showed signs of malnutrition, and many had evidence of being wounded in other attacks. Their bodies were missing limbs, which were taken as trophies by the victorious warriors, their bloody scalps swinging from the warriors' belts as the bodies were burned and the bones tossed in a pit for scavengers and wild beasts to feast upon, where they would lie for 300 years. 
until the bones were uncovered in 1950 and a full archaeological study was completed in 1978. And this has absolutely nothing to do with the most haunted military base that I could find. But people think that it does. Because just outside of Cheyenne, Wyoming is F.E. Warren Air Force Base, renamed from Fort David Allen Russell, a fort that was established in 1867 to protect workers building the Union Pacific Railroad from the local Native American tribes who naturally did not particularly want a railroad built across what they rightfully felt were their homes. Today, F.E. Warren is in charge of the United States ICBM arsenal. From their command, the launch for Armageddon goes out to missile silos scattered across the West, and F.E. Warren is lousy with ghosts. I'm quoting here from the sure, what I'm sure is a very reliable Rocky Mountain Paranormal Research Society website, which is in the show notes. Quote, By far, the most common sightings are those of the cavalrymen dating from the 19th century. Base personnel frequently report sightings of cavalry troopers and officers, and some have communicated with Air Force personnel. During the 1980s, according to Matt Cox of the 90th Communication Squadron, Staff Sergeant Edward Davis encountered a cavalry officer who, when Davis greeted him with good evening, responded with howdy. He then vanished. One property is even known informally as the Ghost House because of the frequent disturbances there. A captain once lived there and was killed falling from the second-story window while trying to escape when his family came home early to find him in bed with his mistress upstairs. This captain has been reported in the Ghost House by numerous inhabitants over the years, primarily in the room which housed his office. The family camp, which is located within spitting distance of the home, would be investigated, and it was the scene of a particularly heinous crime. Cavalrymen raped and then bludgeoned to death a Native American woman there. Her screams and cries have been reported to base security on several occasions, but when patrols would be dispatched to the creek to investigate, nothing is ever found. The creek that runs through that family camp is Crow Creek. The bullshit stories tell of soldiers raping and murdering that young Native American woman along Crow Creek, and then her ghost walks the banks, seen by those brave enough to peek from their tents in the dark of night, and there she is purportedly joined by the ghost of the poor souls who died in the massacre along Crow Creek, a parade of restless spirits condemned to wander the earth, except for just one tiny little thing. That's impossible! Well, I mean, not just in the usual impossible way, but more to the point, the site of the Crow Creek Massacre is almost 500 miles away in South Dakota, and the stream that runs through F.E. Warren that shares the same name does not remotely connect to Crow Creek. Indeed, that Crow Creek doesn't even feed into the same watershed as the one in Wyoming. But that doesn't stop people from believing that it does, and it doesn't stop bullshit stories from saying that these things are so. And Effie Warren is a perfect home for ghost stories. It's old, rich in history, and actual terrible shit happened there. The story about the rape and murder along Wyoming's Crow Creek is true. And that would be enough to make for one hell of a spook story, but the best kind of bullshit story connects your bullshit story 
to bigger and better things. They're convenient, even if they're not true. Like the dead Iraqi pilots connected us to the Persian Gulf War, or the World War II sailor on the USS Minneapolis-St. Paul connected her sailors with generations of submariners that came before them. Are we just spinning bullshit stories for the sake of entertainment? Of course you are. But we are also passing on our history. We human beings love to tell our stories. They connect us to our past and teach us about the world where we live. The Native American tribes on the plains of Wyoming and South Dakota knew this. Our ancestors on wooden boats and steamships knew this. On every continent, among every people, stories entertain, enlighten, and scare the shit out of us. No other creature on this planet does what we do. Except maybe the dolphins, because I think those fuckers spin some good bullshit stories about us. Dolphin it for sharks. We craft them and pass them along to the next generation so they will know something about where they came from. And because, you know, they scare the shit out of them. My grandmother was a master of doing this. I, I still peek out my window from time to time to see if the wampus is waiting for me. What's what's a wampus? Well, it's a, it's a wampus cat. Do, do we have time for one more story? Gavin? Oh, God. Oh, oh, he's passed out in fear, and I think he pissed himself. God. Fine. We've got time for one more story. From S.E. Schlosser from AmericanFolklore.net. They say the wampus cat used to be a beautiful Indian woman. The men of her tribe were always going on hunting trips, but the women had to stay home. The Indian woman secretly followed her husband one day when he went hunting along with the other men. She hid herself behind a rock, clutching the hide of a mountain cat around her, and spied on the men as they sat around their campfire, telling sacred stories and doing magic. According to the laws of the tribe, it was absolutely forbidden for women to hear the sacred stories and see the tribe's magic. So when the Indian woman was discovered, the medicine man punished her by binding her into the mountain cat's skin she wore and then transferring her into a terrible monster. Half woman, half mountain cat. Ever after, she was doomed to roam the hills, howling desolately because she desires to return to her normal body. He whirled around, dropping his rifle, his heart pounding with fear. The man found himself staring into the big, glowing, yellow eyes of the wampus cat. The creature had huge fangs, dripping with saliva. It looked like a kind of mountain lion, but walked upright like a man. It howled again, and the man's skin nearly turned inside out in horror. And with a scream of his own terror, the man leapt backwards. Help! Jeff! He ran through the woods. The wampus cat on his heels. He fled to the home of a friend who lived nearby and burst through the front door, only a breath ahead of the creature. 
His friend slammed the door in the face of the wampus cat. Instantly, it started shuddering under the weight of the attacking monster, and the man's friend grabbed his Bible and started reading aloud from Psalms. Upon hearing the holy words, the wampus cat howled in frustration and then slowly abandoned its attack and crept back into the woods. The man spent the rest of the night at his friend's place, and when he went home at daybreak, he found his dogs huddled beneath the barn, shaken but alive. That man never hunted after dark again. And you know why my grandmother would tell me these tales? Do you know the wisdom she wanted to impart to her young grandson in the feather bed next to her? Late in the hours of the night, you'll go the fuck to sleep. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. That is it for our Halloween Spooktacular 2017. We join all of you in this most hauntful time of the year in celebrating... Things in Sunnydale that go bump in the night. We've spent the last ten months in real terror. Why not spend a little time in terror of some shit that ain't even real? Vampires... Fuck them. <laughs> they ain't a thing next to Jeff Sessions and Attorney General. But tonight is not a night for such things. Tonight is a night when the unquiet spirits rise from their restless slumber and travel amongst the livings, raging against the eternal, endless cold of death. Among their clanking chains, you can hear, rate and review this show on iTunes or I shall torment you forever. The Restless Dead are very big on iTunes rankings. The Beast from Below also wants you to follow this show on Twitter at the Hell underscore podcast or the show name on Facebook or be damned in the flames of punishment for your sins. Oh yes, boys and girls, all the screams of the damned are on SoundCloud at the show name and at www.whatthehellpodcast.com. For me, Dave Bledsoe, producer of Son of the Damned Gavin, and all the other fictional ghouls and goblins on this show, we want to say, Sons of Vengeance, won't you rescue me? They've got me tied up to oak trees, and they have me screaming alone in the night, and I'm beginning to see finally what is wrong and what is right. We'll see you all next week.